10 years of Finders Keepers Records, an alternative history of music. Oh, that was a heavy night. Where the hell am I? Is that, is that you, Pete? That Pete. Sorry? Peter. Yeah. Peter, yeah. wake up. Ah, yes. Good morning. Did, oh, but, yeah. did you have a good... It was a good finders keepers... I don't remember. You don't remember? I don't remember. <laughs> it was a finders keepers party. Oh. Hang on, what, what's that distant... Can I hear distant drums? I think it's... I think it's Doug. It's the ship tonight. Ah. Good morning, fellas. Morning. Feeling a bit rough, are we? Is that a bongo between your knees, Doug? Is that Check a... this out. <laughs> Is that a flute in your pocket, Peter? Are you just pleased to see us all? Has been levelled at me on the other occasion. <laughs> Give us a blast. Okay. Not bad, is it? <laughs> Pete, not bad. That's that's beautiful. Did you, did you have a good night last night, Doug? From what I remember, yeah. Do you remember bumping into Zelda, Jean-Claude Vanier at some stage? Pete? <laughs> no, he's playing the flute. Amazing. Um, well, what's, I mean... T- Shall I give somebody else a flute so I can talk? No. I'm not blowing on your second-hand flute. <laughs> I beg your pardon, I'm Piccolo Pete. <laughs> the Three Musketeers are back together again. I think that constitutes a, a cel- a, a, time for a, another celebration. It's the Finders Keepers Records 10th Anniversary Radio Special Part 2 Take it to the bridge Let's take it to Hungary I must find out more about Pete's flute That's quite lovely Like that fella to me in Nightingale Welcome, all you Finders Keepers fans. We are here celebrating 10 years of one of the most incredible record labels in the whole wide world. We are global. We, in fact, we make global local. I'm Pete Mitchell. We have uh, Andy Votel. Hello, Andy. Hello. Hangover uh, dissipating? Uh, yeah, it's... it's, it's you Heavy so, night. See, you've what? got no one-off switch. You've, you've lost the off switch. It's Eastern European spirits, you see. They, they, they don't give you a hangover. Oh, don't they? I'd go for saying you feel better. Any potato-based... <laughs> potato-based plonk. Yeah, yeah, it is, is fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dougie, you're looking a little worse for wear. 
Yes, I felt better. Doug but loves haven't, the sp- haven't we all? Doug loves the spud plonk. That's his favourite tipple, spud plonk. This is the uh, the second show. We're going to work our way through the entire catalogue. I've actually forgotten the, the facts and figures. The label started in 2006. Am I wrong? Five. Right. Five. Something about 250 releases? Yeah, I guess. Maybe more, maybe less. Maybe more like, or less. Like we made clear in the last episode, it's just like it's hard to put a start date on Finders Keepers because mm. it's something we were essentially working on yeah, since yeah. we were kids. You know, yeah. when Doug was working at Twisted Nerve with us or working at Cherry Red, he was still thinking mm. Finders Keepers. Our, our last conversation on the first show, and by the way, if you haven't heard it, you can go back and listen to it on iTunes and Mixcloud and uh, uh, Soundcloud as well as the, the regular radio show. When you say it began, at what point did you think you were established as a label then? You, you know, when you thought, well, this is cohesive, it works, there's something tangible here that we've got a direction, if you like. Oh, right, that was nice that you regard us as a, an, mm. <laughs> an official record label, Pete. I, I find it strange that you didn't think you were. Yeah, really. I, I, I don't think that started yet. I mean, you know, people throw these labels at us, but, yeah. uh, you know, Accidental World Music Label has been one that's stuck to the wall for quite a long mm. time. I mean, we treat every record on a release-by-release basis, don't we, Doug? I certainly wouldn't say we uh, stick to any kind of plan, if that's what you mean. It's unusual for people to, to see uh, a record label. It certainly was ten years ago where one week you'd be doing a Hungarian record, the next week you'd be doing a Persian record, the next week you'd yeah. be doing a Turkish Well hung record. then. Funk rock eruptions from beneath the communist Hungary. Uh, volume 1. I suppose you consider yourself cu- curators more than anything, do you? I guess. I mean, yeah, I suppose. I mean, we've I've always... There were probably no compilation in Hungary like this. What we would consider the best hits in Hungary are probably like the worst fails of Hungary, yeah, you know, so yeah. it's it's all down to... And do you remember your first introduction to Hungarian music, which is the one that uh, opened the doors there? Well, I was lucky enough to go to Poland with art school and I've probably mentioned this tons of times before mm. but um, I, I, as a young teenager I was very keen on uh, you know I was already into vinyl records and for some reason I thought oh, I'm going to go to Poland mm. I've got a bit of money in my pocket because my mum and dad had given me some spends I thought <laughs> right I'm going to buy some 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 jazz records yeah. so I was looking for like Lou Donaldson and, and, and Grant Green and stuff like that obviously you get to Eastern Europe there's no American records to be seen mm. so you're clutching at straws now because I was an art student I was, I was trying to buy posters and stamps and bits of print so all these records had amazing sleeves and there were records on labels like primarily Musa which is the state label from Poland but also Hungariton and Peter which were from Hungary and then these amazing compilations on this um, East German label called Amiga and these compilations called Hello had different tracks by people from bands from Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Poland and East Germany mm. and it just opened a whole new world of uh, incredible records it was hard to figure out which ones were Polish which ones right. were Czech, which ones were mm. Hungarian possibly took a few years to even care you mm. know, the yeah, difference yeah, yeah. but it's that whole world, you know It's that this, these, things, these Eastern European records have always been, you know, I've always had a super soft spot for them, the design, the music the way the, the, there's restrictions on what they can do and say and sing and they make up for that by being extra perverted with the music mm. and you know it's an amazing it's it's amazing it's something that we make very clear in the sleeve notes of this very compilation is the idea that they are imagining exactly what happens in the West with pop music and pushing that as far as they yeah. possibly can. And for that reason, you get very loud fuzz guitar or you get very loud... Right. So it's when also... you say state state record labels, these are government-funded labels. Government-owned, so, yeah, yeah. So they're controlled so lyrically, there's no politics in any of these records because they wouldn't get, get past the censors. Uh, absolutely apolitical. Un- un- unlike the film stuff, because they're, they're usually arag- allegorical, so you know there'll be an underlying... Thing Thing in there. I mean, you know, but this band that we just played, 
Amiga are probably the most famous band from Hungary, and something that's quite amazing about a lot of these Hungarian bands are um, th- they did get to travel. They did get to travel to Japan and do tours and get to travel to the UK. And when they used to get back to Hungary, they weren't allowed to be paid in money. They weren't allowed to, to bring money back. So they'd get gifts. So when they came up to the UK or America, they'd be given keyboards, synthesizers. I mean, there's a really funny story about a band called Scorpio that went to Japan. And because they couldn't bring money back, they got paid in Suzuki motorcycles. <laughs> so they just turned, they turned up back in Hungary and they all had Suzuki mm. bikes, which is a brilliant. Yeah. But this band Amiga, who we just heard, who did how many albums did they do, Doug? 13? Something crazy. Oh. God. You always find Amiga records when you're right, digging in Hungary. Right. They're just everywhere. They owned so much equipment that everybody on the Hungarian scene shared. By the time the wall came down, they owned the biggest lighting and rigging company in the whole oh, of Hungary. Yeah, right. and Amiga productions still still do all the light shows, all the major stadium gigs. It's it's always coming back to their kit because they just own this huge. So after after mm. the after the fall of of the pop scene over there, where Western music, American and English music was was available to everyone. The Hungarian scene, the Hungarian language music kind of dropped, but bands like Amiga mm. managed to sort of, you know, take advantage of it in, yeah. in other areas. That was probably the longest answer to a question there. Doug, go on. <laughs> well, I was going to say, but it's not as if they, they were sort of, uh, they existed outside of the political sort of sphere. Ilesh, if I'm not mistaken, Andy, um, was one of the first Hungarian records I picked up and I heard a story about them coming to play at the BBC and being a tiny bit critical of the Hungarian government and then being denied access home mm. oh, yeah. at the end of their tour yeah, because somebody yeah. had been listening to it on the radio. Yeah, that's exactly right. They did this. There was this film called Don't Cry Pretty Girls, which was basically a homage to the silencing of the band Illej. Right. So, um, yeah, the because, silencing of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and there was a film, and it was basically about Illej, but couldn't start Illej. Right. And there's also an amazing um, cover, which is basically something which is wrapped in a, a big item, which is wrapped in in a Hungarian newspaper and tied up in coloured ribbons, and right. it's just about the the silencing well, of, like the, of uh, the band. So let's uh, move on to the, uh, our, our next release uh, in the the Finders Keepers Canon. We're going to move on to John Hill and the Six Moons of Jupiter. Nice little uh, cover there. Is that yours? Uh, your design, Andy? Oh, nice, lovely. Well, you, little, ne- uh, yeah, you never know. Should authentic we, should, should... ring wear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's play it. Let's play it, and then we'll talk some more. This is uh, the Finders Keepers Radio Show. We're celebrating ten years of uh, the label, and here is John Hill, a track from the Six Moons of Jupiter. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records, making old records feel young.
You're listening to the Finders Keepers Radio Show. We're here in the uh, Keepers Cottage. This is uh, the show number two, going through uh, you know a large uh, amount of releases on the Finders Keepers label from the album "The Six Moons of Jupiter." John Hill. We're with uh, Andy Votel and Doug Shipton from the label. Doug, what can you tell us about this uh, this recording? John Hill is the husband and producer of uh, Finders Keepers' very own Susan Christie. I think it was actually a John Hill record that Andy and I sort of first really cemented our friendship over oh, around record collecting. In, uh, the Wall record, which we actually released on our sort of other distant sub-label, uh, Delay 68. Yeah, amazing record. Wool self-titled record mm. originally came out on Dunhill. Probably epitomised the folk funk, but w- which is quite a loose term which managed to encompass anything which was psychedelic and, and had guitars in it. Amazing, the, the, the Wool album. Ed and Susan Wool, is that right, Doug? That's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sister and brother who did this amazing psychedelic soul folk funk record which one track if they left us alone now appeared on an amazing early bootleg compilation called the folk funk experience kind of sounds a little bit like tiffany if they left us alone now i think we're alone now by yeah, tiffany. Yeah, yeah, something yeah, like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but um but it's obviously uh, a bit cooler but what was john hill's involvement in wool exactly I think he had a production credit of sorts, but he was also the composer of the big track that I know you're a big fan of. Love, 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 love. Yeah, that's right. That dance floor killer. Yeah, love, 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 love. Mm. But um, yeah, and he also, did he not produce Margot Gurion after that? Some tracks, yeah. I can't remember exactly what, though. He did. Pacific yeah. Gas and Electric as well. Margot Gurion was an amazing rare folk funk record and I suppose when Keith Darcy unearthed the Susan Christie record we almost had a counterpart to this so it was obvious that we'd asked John Hill Mm. what else has he got in the can and there wasn't so much in that department really the stuff that hadn't been released apart from one project that he wasn't that confident about which was something that he did with Jerry Mulligan and Walter Sear from Sears Music Sounders, the Copper Integrated Circuit Command um, Moog proprietor in <laughs> New York, who was recently, we've re- released record, I mean, he appears on the Holy Mountain soundtrack. He was an absolute master. And this is, this is that, that record, really. It was loosely based on the Six Moons of Jupiter. So it's a concept jazz rock experience record, quite mm. like nothing else you know also it's definitely worth mentioning that it was previously unreleased well was sourced i believe by yourself andy from john's very own archive yeah never before saw the light of day i mean i I suppose it was one of the first with this and susan christie was one of the first pop fully formed pop albums with quite well-known musicians Mm. on there which had never been released before and once you start releasing records which have never seen the light of day it it becomes a bit addictive and i I think sort of like the next 10, 20, 30 records that we talk about on this very show, okay. we'll be delving more and more into that territory. We cease to be a reissue label at that point. We're releasing brand new music. It just so happens that it's 35 years old, but you know, when it sounds this good, who cares? Mm. On to our uh, next tune as we celebrate 10 years of the Finest Keepers record label from the album Willow Songs, uh, an album that inspired the seminal soundtrack to The Wicker Man. Uh, this is Willow's theme. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records, an alternative history of music.
You are listening to 10 Years of the Finest Keepers record label. Uh, beautiful Willow songs from uh, the album of various artists uh, inspiring uh, the uh, seminal soundtrack to uh, The Wicker Man. Uh, tell us more. The Wicker Man soundtrack. It's so deeply ingrained in our psyche and all our collective influences, you know. What do you think of the idea of doing an album which has all the original folk themes that made up the Wicker Man soundtrack? Doug said yes, and we got on with it. And mm. that's 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 about it, really. There's a bunch of films, which British films, when I was a teenager, which I, I, I refer to as post-pub classics. <laughs> Sitting Target yeah. being one of them. Which we spoke about in the last show. Blood on Satan's Claw, The Wicker Man, Witchfinder General, like, you know, all these films. Here we go around the Mulberry Bush, you know, amazing things that, that sometimes just popped up on telly mm. when they weren't even listed. It's like some dude had just, yeah. you know... You've said that before, that yeah. some of these, you just sit there at that 11.55 on BBC Two on a Friday night, something yeah. would crop up. Yeah, someone's just thrown a, a tape yeah. on, and yeah. it's just like, oh, and, and, and The Wicker Man was one of them. And, you know, regardless to the fact that at the time I was probably listening to a lot of rap and a lot of funk records, you know, you couldn't deny that the music in mm. The Wicker Man was like one of them... Mm. Was was the principal actor? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the music yeah, yeah, yeah. was the yeah, driving yeah. force. Of course, of course. Johnny Trunk spent a lot of time trying to release the soundtrack to this, and he managed to get the music taken straight off the reels. But by this point, no one had found the actual studio master tapes. I was going to say, yeah, weren't they reputed to have been buried under a motorway flyover somewhere in the Midlands? I think it was, or outside London. That was a story, wasn't it? I like that story, though. That's well, more intrigue. Yeah, I mean, I think that was because because in in the editing suites they used to use a lot of stuff. For landfill so i mean this is this is a well-known story but there was a guy in the wirral who was like a sound engineer junior or something when they were making the film and he managed to just take the, the film reels home eventually it got released on silver screens this is the deeper obsessive sort of take on that do you know what i mean it's yeah. just like when the wicker man and all its paraphernalia is all said and done you get these crazy withdrawal symptoms and it's like what else is there we decided to go digging through the archives and libraries and stuff and we found all these original folk tunes which Magna and Paul Giovanni had based their amazing soundtrack on so this was like a this is like a sister piece to all those other Wickerman records this is like a sister companion piece and if you want to read any more you can buy the book Ritual which we also released on our literary arm if you will which is a book from David Pinner from 1965 which told the original story of the Wickerman which has yeah. been contested by the oh is it by, by read the, it anyway read some controversy book. yeah read it read it you're listening to the Finest Keepers radio show, 10 years of accidental world music. And next up, composer, orchestrator and trumpet player, the very wonderful Ennio Morricone.
Hello, welcome one and all. You're listening to 10 Years of the Finders Keepers record label. I'm your host, Pete Mitchell. We have uh, Andy Votel and Doug Shipton. A big, uh, a big deal for the label, I would imagine. Uh, the, uh, the extraordinary Morricone. Obviously a big deal for the label at the time. Yeah, of course. It's a dream to be able to, um, to work with Morricone material. I think by the time we got to this compilation, we'd sort of finally figured out where we were going, what we were doing to, to some extent. So we were able to take these bigger gambles and had a reputation in which we could be trusted, if you will, with someone of the, the, the caliber of Morricone. But this was actually um, a track chosen for us by a very good friend of ours, Chris Geddes from Bell and Sebastian. Mm. This was the second of our B Music compilations, which brought together the extended Finders Keepers family, record collectors, musicians, awesome graphic designers, historians, uh, musical historians, music historians. Yeah, I mean, by this point, you know, we'd, we'd already done one B Music compilation, which was the idea of ringing up all our mates and saying, right, do you want to pick a track for this thing? And then it, it, if they seemed licensable, which they, they did, because we were very ambitious, we'd put it together. But by this point we'd spent a lot more public time with the sort of b-music dj crew so you know we'd been doing big festivals at the green man we've been doing like you know traveling around a bit going to barcelona like every other month with a different guest every time so we all started to know our each other's dj bags so me and doug and dom we said right well let's pick something from you know when you're out djing it's just like right that's that tune that you always play let's put that on the compilation so it was it was almost came it came a bit more natural than the mm-hmm. first one mm-hmm. it was genuinely reflective of what the B-Music events w- would sound like, you know. So it was this record was really sort of the result of saying, that was amazing, we'll put that on the comp, or we'll try to. And by this time, we'd been DJing regularly with Griff Reese, Pete Fowler, Chris the Judge Arthur, David Holmes, Gaslamp Killer, Lee Jander, Chris McBride, Lady J, Terry Stones, Massa, Chris Menist. It, it's great that this release introduces you to people like Massa and Chris Menist because they'd become, you know, with the, with the next within the next ten releases, they become really important. Because when we started, it was just basically two or three compilers and a massive list of records we've been listening to for the previous twenty years of our lives. Mm. There, there was only a few people who'd come to us with fully finished products and say, "Listen, I've, I know the right. I've, I know where the rights are to this music. I know who owns this music, and I know who it's by, and I can write the sleeve." notes and they were bringing you know fully formed products to us and so that's why it was great that we could meet Mm, mm. this was like you know a glimpse into what was going to happen in the future really b music compilations are almost like a a one-stop party pack as Mm, well mm, mm. as being a shopping list and a glimpse into the future and what we wanted to do so they're almost like manifestos as well as being sort of pocket discos that's it to me these comps are are a snapshot of exactly where we were at the time and hand in hand with the the b music magazines that we were doing at the time the fanzines i think it was i just think it showed a a huge cross-section of exactly what we were into at the time uh, with the cinema with the literature with the graphic design and to be able to bring all of this together in as yeah, you say just like yeah. one but I, I think document. It, it, as you both talk about you know the, 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 this gathering if you like which is organic it's almost compounds what you're doing it's almost a slap on the back that you're attracting people the right DJs bringing stuff that you you entirely agree with sonically and its ethics and everything so you're you're almost like a magnet to almost to the outsider in a way aren't you mm, yeah it's nice to be verified as well or, of course or, of course or, or, or vindicated by, yeah, by yeah. Other other freaks who who have got bigger voices like David and Griff, you know, 
they really have, have worn their love for being music on their sleeves, you know, and that's 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 really helped, you mm-hmm. know. I said last show, you can have like one crazy guy on the corner screaming about some obscure records, his own, yeah. or you can have like a bunch of you, at which point you become an institution yeah, yeah, and yeah. people start to listen right. and get a bit scared. Exactly. This is the Finders Keepers Radio Show, celebrating 10 years of the label. It is a monthly show you can hear uh, by going to iTunes or listening on SoundCloud or MixCloud. You can hear us talking to the likes of John Cooper Clark, Graham Goulman, John McCready, George Clinton, Leticia Sadier and, and Dennis Coffey. Just download them via iTunes. Uh, we continue uh, looking at the label over the past 10 years and uh, this is uh, Massiera. You are listening to the Finders Keepers radio show. Musical Lost Property. Thank you. 
Keepers radio show celebrating 10 years of the label. We're at the Finders Keepers Cottage, uh, somewhere in the English countryside. Uh, Massiera? Jean-Pierre Massiera. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Enigmatic? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yes. Well, yeah. 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 He, he is. He's, uh, he is an enigma. Well, most of the things that you talk about are an enigma. Yeah, but Massiera just kept popping up. Jean-Pierre Massiera has been involved in thousands of records, loads of stuff. He mm. just keeps getting up and keeps on moving. He was in surf bands, he was in psych bands, he was in prog bands. But the main thing was, he was kind of like exploito. He was like nothing less than the French Joe Meek. You know, that was his thing. He owned his own studios and put out his own records on his own label and just kept moving. He was sampling from other records. He was using really sort of like obscure bits of machine and, 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 and making mechanical music. He was pinching stuff, he was reappropriating stuff, doing crazy covers, but doing all this sort of exploito prog. Now, if you were the kind of person who used to buy sort of like borderline books mm. and, and all those books that used to give you these massive guides of sort of like a guide to Krautrock or a guide to UK site, there was books like Fuzz Acid Flowers and Walk Into the Purple Ether. Now, they recommended... To, to a very niche market, mm. these foreign site records. And in the French section, Jean-Pierre Massiera would crop up all, ev- the, all time. the time, right. generally giving him very poor reviews. Now, if you know these kind of books, you usually can judge that the good records are the ones that get the poor reviews gotcha. and the great yeah. records are the ones that just sound like bloody Genesis. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I started following a bit, looking for Massiera. There was names like Igor Vokovic, the guy Batio, who did stuff like Jacula from Italy, and they were doing these crazy records. And I just I used to get them all mixed up, these guys, but Massiera was always there. Wasn't he on the uh, the Nurse With Wound list as well? I think Maledictus Sound was on there. That's Yeah, that's true. Certainly. Certain people of a cert- who liked a certain type of music, like Nurse We Wound or the Cramps, would, would know who Massiera was. He was almost like a European screaming lord such as well, you yeah, know. He right. was just this crazy yeah. sort of... Crazy dude. Crazy dude, right? Yeah. There was this record, The Maledictus Sound, which was a very sort of groovy record with prominent bass lines and loud drums, which also sampled Pierre Henri straight from the record. You could hear him playing it off the record. Nice. When I first heard it, I thought it was a fake record. Christmas... Bride did a compilation with it on, and I was like, "That's not a real record." <laughs> you can hear the samples off yeah. the off, off the uh, Pierre Henri record. Anyway, it was re- it was real. It was crazy. Maledictus Sound was a rare record, and that was kind of like the end of the story. Mm. Meanwhile, on the Balearic scene and some of the disco scenes, the cosmic disco scene, this other Massiera kept cropping up. And when a label in Canada called Mucho Gusto started releasing Massiera Disco, it, the question, is this the same guy, started to heavily weigh on the front of my dome. I was like, is it? Is this? <laughs> is, can it be the same bloke? It makes no sense. It was the same bloke, wasn't it, Doug? Yeah, but like we were talking about Massiera. I, I hadn't really sort of wrapped my head around him in much the same way as yourself because when we were working with uh, a lot of the prog bands he was involved in, like Visitors, uh, Human Egg, I, I was still trying to find my feet with him. And, and as you say, I still to this day, I bought a record the other day. I had no idea he was involved with and he's always a name I go back to. I always have a cheeky little look online on eBay to see if there's something we may have missed, and um, I'm never disappointed. I'll tell you who Massiere is a little bit like. He's like Graham Massey. Well, he's always cosmic. It can be making cosmic surf, and then as times change, he'll make cosmic psych, then he'll make cosmic prog, and then he'll make cosmic disco. Genre buster. 
but it's always cosmic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, now, Graham yeah. Massey has always made this incredible sort of punk music, but it's gone through all these different genres at the same time, you know. Graham Massey's music with Danny and the Dressmakers and Biting Tongs mm. is the same kind of music that he made in 808 State. The only difference is 808 State passed through house music and he's done it through jazz, and they're quite similar guys. Mm. So, you yeah, know. I get that, yeah. Yeah, Massey, Massey era. That's, oh, that's suspicious, isn't it? Weird connection. Yeah, Jean-Pierre Massey. Right, we're going to play a couple of records together now. We're going to start with the, the first one. Andy, what we're we going into here? You could say we were right in the middle of our purple period here, okay. but Massiera yeah. was the horrific child by his own design. And we, we, we now we sort of like, we just happen to be stuck in our sort of like, in, in Halloween now. This is probably Finders Keepers spooky years mm. now, because mm. straight after this, we had Vampires of Dartmoor. Finders Keepers, second class sound. Hello, Mr. Hitchcock. In two minutes, you will be dead. Finders Keepers Records, an alternative history of music. Thank you. 
listening to the Finders Keepers Radio Show. We're here at the, the Keeper's Cottage with uh, the Finder Keepers founders, one of the original three, Andy Votel and Doug Shipton. Don Thomas was involved as well, was it? Yeah, yeah. Don, I mean, we, I'd, I'd been mates with Dom since mm. the second I left school. We, 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 we travelled the world together. He was one of my first DJ partners. Right. And, yeah, amazing taste in music, Dom. Yeah. Yeah, you mm. know, and he was, uh, yeah, it, it, was the, it was the Iron Triangle, me, Doug and Dom. It's, it's, it strikes me at this period because I can see the without even being around you at that time, there's some sort of momentum within the label, within your B-music crowd. Things are moving on. You're out DJing, travelling the world. And uh, we'll get to what Andy describes as your purple patch. It's some great records. Uh, we just heard uh, Science Fiction Dance Party and then before that, the Vampires of Dartmoor. What can you tell us, uh, Doug? Vampires of Dartmoor is probably one of the, the records, the Finders Keepers records that we've worked on that I'm sort of proudest of. It was something I've been obsessed with for a long, long time. In fact, a, a previous girlfriend of mine was going to base her university dissertation around it. Uh, having first heard uh, Hello, Mr. Hitchcock, I, I was just obsessed with this insane... Uh, how would I describe the sleeve? It was like a Transylvanian jumble sale, the cover, isn't it? It's like, you know, people with goofy teeth with uh, curtains wrapped around them. Kind of. It still doesn't do it any justice, to be honest. It's uh, trying to correlate the, the music, the sound on this record, this almost uncategorizable kind of schlock album with this uh, nondescript vampiric scene. Just pulled out the, uh, the, the, uh, the sleeve there. It's like a lot of Alice Cooper's cross with the... Um, I don't know. It, <laughs> if it, that's a sleeve on a budget, yeah. I, it's, it's incredible. It, 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 yeah. it is, yeah. it is. It's, I mean, a, it's a strange one. And always the, the, the deathly-looking child always included in the lineup. There you go. Yeah, that, yeah no expense spared on that cover. Yeah. It's quite incredible. But, I mean, it's outsider kraut rock is what it is, or kraut exploitation, as I think we've, we've, we've called it. Or Krautsider music, that's what we started calling stuff, wasn't it, mm-hmm. Doug? Which was, a, which yeah. was quite a good niche. I mean, there's no denying that this record is one of well it, it all comes from a genre which was very big in Germany called horotica right and there was a guy called I think I can guess what that is yeah there yeah. was a guy called horror charlie in munich i think who was running his own stage show of uh, the horror sex show and then the <laughs> and then these other things turned up like um vampire vampire dance party and and uh, and these two records uh, sexadelic that mm. uh, that the jess franco the spanish director took lock stock and barrel for his soundtrack so he bought the records from the from the shop mm. and then the next three films just were called vampiros lesbos mm. and used all this music from these two stock records yeah. around that there were other records and one being the vampires of dartmoor which was called Dracula's Music Cabinet. I still think that they were trying to say Music Cabaret, but they wrote Cabinet, but it's Dracula's Music Cabinet. Unless, of course, you're linking... And they spelled Dartmoor as well. They spelled Dartmoor wrong as well. But, uh, yeah, but it's it's just an amazing, amazing record from that genre. I used to go and visit my friend Gareth Goddard, Cherry Stones, and he was one of the only people that had a copy of this record. And I think that he had got it from his sort of cramp, history. I think that's why 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 Godzi had picked it up. But I'd literally go around to his house and say, Where's your Fantastic Planet record? And where's your Dracula's music cabinet record? And then I'd go around a month later for another fix, you know. Mm, but mm. um event yeah, but it was eventually we released it on a Finders Keepers uh compilation that we did for Fat City, Early Doors, and then it was down to me and Doug to spend 
almost 10 years trying to bloody get in touch with the guys to do an official re-release of the album, at which time we'd found out that there was actually a sneaky follow-up called Science Fiction Dance Party. Now, it might be getting a bit confusing, but these exploits... All ties in. All Germanic ties records, in, yeah. yeah. And basically, it, it was just like two records, arguably perverted, easy-listening records... One with horror sound effects thrown all over the top, the follow-up with science fiction sound effects thrown all over the top. And you can tell by the design of the sleeve that they weren't thinking too hard. (laughs) (laughs) They hadn't paid it too much mind. Whereas record collectors would have given the high teeth for it and sleepless nights for years. I'm sure collectors pay a lot more money for original copies of these records than it actually costs to pay the studio bills back in 1970 what? Uh, this is a this is a bittersweet record for me personally. I'm sure Andy feels the same. Um, but obviously, we're very well, just amazingly proud of the fact that after all our hard work uh, paying off, we could get the record out. We weren't actually able to find out who actually played on the record. No, that was uh, I forget who it is. It was yeah. either Thusek or Ackerman. One of them sadly died, and the other was so embittered by the industry, he no longer wanted to talk about the projects he'd been involved involved with yeah. and sadly declined all our requests to give us a lineup that will remain a mystery i'm sure yeah we gave them an interview didn't they i mean it was like the publishing companies that that put us in touch with them and they said yeah you can have it but i don't want to talk about it mm. <laughs> which, is yeah, a bit, which is a bit sad yeah. if someone found a picture of me with some with some <laughs> orange peel fangs i'd have it straight out there and, straight and, out there and, and, and my grand's curtains wrapped around me maybe i wouldn't want to talk about it i don't know there's other records of them on. The Library Music Legends, you know, they did Olympic Games records and all sorts of stuff. But, okay. um, yeah, I don't know whether they were... Um, you wouldn't have them down as serious contemporary composers or whatever. So it seems like we're flying through. We're up to your 20th release on the label. Yeah, that was the first first time, for, ce- yeah. first time for celebration. Yeah, of course. Um, first milestone, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd already done a few mixes ourselves, you know, for you know DJ mixes to, to represent the label. But mm. when it came to the 20th release, we thought we need to find a very willing and able friend who can express their views and taste within the Finders Keepers yeah. realm. I think, yeah, after 20 releases, I wouldn't say we sort of set in our ways, like far from it. We were covering so many, so many bases and bringing so much to the table. It was it was important, I think, to bring somebody else in to add their own sort of take on finders keepers and sort of help us celebrate what. Uh, well, we didn't think we'd even get to ten releases, and to get to twenty was just yeah. amazing. Yeah. So we'd been hanging out with a very energetic young man called Willow in Los Angeles because we, we we were lucky enough to travel a little bit by this point, and he booked us to go over and play uh, over nice there. Nice booking. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was you know very very supportive. We did early gigs with him and broadcast we brought him over to play in uh, Barcelona and stuff so you know he was a, a great friend a very very capable DJ like I say known as Will to all of us but the rest of the world called him the gas lamp killer <laughs> or the mm. mother f- gas lamp killer yeah so we let him loose on the catalogue and we also gave him a bunch of releases that hadn't come out yet and said listen dude do as you, we know you can do this do as a mix but the youthful energy that he put into Finders Keepers mm, with mm. this mix was incredible so Will did this this mega mix which is available we actually released it on Twisted Nerve right yeah just as a sister sister label sideline mm, to mm. what we've been doing because by now we're starting to look deeply to the east and our next stop was Pakistan mm. Around the world, Finders Keepers Radio Show. Are you sure? I don't. Yeah, okay. 
somewhere in the English countryside. That was... Uh, Gadajar. Dekajagar. 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 I think so. <laughs> I mean, it means time what does it will... it mean, Pete? Uh, I've, I, it means it's, it's a greeting, isn't it, obviously? Time will tell. Time I will think tell. it means that. I might yeah, be totally yeah. wrong. I yeah. probably am totally It's wrong. a label built on mispronunciations. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what's your Olympic-scale mispronunciations? Why, and... thank you. <laughs> yes, it is. So it, it seems to me... I can, uh, you know, even talking and listening to the records, I can see that as a label, you're up to speed now. And uh, you even said a little earlier, it's kind of your... Maybe a purple patch. It's uh, a very vibrant purple. So, well, yeah. because we were we were we were we were at our very uh, best. yourself you're yeah, aware yeah. that things coming together you're getting booked uh, the B music crew are, are establishing themselves the the reason being is because things started coming to us because yeah. you see now me and Doug had bought bits of Pakistani records you know because we've made the, the in previous shows we've talked about the difference between Bollywood from Bombay Lollywood from Lahore mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Collywood which yeah. is the Tamil film industry when we saw the EMI logo on Pakistani records we just left it alone we thought that's that we can't penetrate that you know it'd be too difficult too costly so you know we were just happy to dj pakistani records out luckily a guy called chris menist gave us a ring one day and said have you heard pakistani music i said yeah it's amazing he goes yeah well i found a guy who owns all the rights and all the master tapes and it's a construction company in lahore at which point it was like game on so mm. the record that you just heard, Deca Deca Great one. Deca Jai Gar, yeah. is uh, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> is uh, it was the first of those fruits, and uh, and I mean I think maybe in the next show we'll talk a lot more about Chris and his involvement with the label. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records, making old records feel young. Mon bouton est cassé, un marronnier caresse le ciel. Ça va faire Les gens ont l'air méchants, ils boivent des cafés. Un petit garçon pose sa main sur la mienne. Ça va faire un Quelques paroles lui chantent, je le sais. Quelques parrains Boeing. Quelqu'un dans le cou Ça va faire un hit Le trottoir est couvert de fleurs fanées Ça va faire un hit La patronne du café a une robe neuve Ça va faire un hit Il faut que je téléphone à Marie Le soleil est doux près du Luxembourg Ça va faire un hit Ça va faire un hit 
passer tout seul Ça va faire un hit La terre est en éléphant au champ Ça va faire un hit Les feuilles jaunissent Ah, ça va faire un hit Je me souviens un matin If you'd have told me when we first out of Finders Keepers that we'd be releasing records by Morricone and then Vangelis mm. and Gong, an art ensemble of Chicago, you know, yeah. I'd say you were crazy. Yeah, you're crazy, <laughs> man. Uh, but BYG is the treasure trove for all those things. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Because I think it is. it was a very sort of big mm. step for us. It was a very important project. BYG was the label that people who ran away to France ended up releasing the records okay. on. David Allen, who was from Australia, mm. from Gong, after Soft Machine, got stuck in France. Right. So we needed a label, yeah. and it was BYG. The Art Ensemble went to Paris and did gigs, yeah. and when their name was written, it had to say, The Art Ensemble, in brackets, of Chicago. Right. It was born in France. <laughs> right? Right, okay. Vangelis came over from Greece. On his way to the UK, got stopped in Paris with his band Aphrodite's Child. Couldn't get here because of May 68 problems, so spent the next two years in France. Now, the people who own BYG took advantage of all these people, stuck in France, and in collaboration with a magazine, a jazz magazine called Actuel, they created this beautiful beautiful aesthetic in this beautiful label called BYG Actuel and with French prog musicians collaborating with American jazz musicians and troubled tourists this amazing balloon explosion of psychedelic progressive jazz music existed it's lesser told story which we attempted to do with the compilation and this next track is one of the ultimate highlights from that record <laughs>
Van Gelis, who I heard of. Aphrodite Turner hit, was it, uh, that hit record in this country, didn't it? And then uh, as a composer, we, Chariots of Fire, everyone was kind of introduced to, to Van Gelis at the time. I know you speak about him a lot, but how do you rate him? He's a genius, and he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, he's like... He's um, a funny man. Yeah. yeah. He's extra large in every uh, right, aspect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> every aspect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pete Fowler once drew a picture saying, no more than three members of Aphrodite's Child should enter this lift at any given time. <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Vangelis, you know, he's, 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 he's another guy with this amazing history. You know, you, you can talk about and compile a bunch of amazing Vangelis records that your, your average Vangelis fanatic would never have heard of, you mm, know. Mm. He worked with Jean-Claude Vanier, you know. When he was in Paris, he worked with Jean-Claude Vanier. Mm. There's two records by Paul Labby and a woman called Varna, perhaps. Two singles, Vangelis and mm. Vanier. It's a bit like Massey and Masera. Yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah. But didn't he work? It was, was it Astral Abuse? Was Vangelis? Was it produced or did he play on this as well? It was a, a BYG that just popped up on uh, 145, if I believe. Yeah, yeah, mm. Astral Abuse, which is an amazing record. I think you've got to look behind the back of the couch when you're looking for good Vangelis yeah, records, okay. you know, and possibly the stuff that he didn't finish off or the stuff that was fraught with troubles, you know, like the Dragon, the music that we just played. They were master tapes that weren't completed, you know, which, you know, is incredible. He did a comp- he did a soundtrack to this film called Sex Power, which was an early Jane Birkin vehicle. Mm. So his, his Vanier Gansborg connections are kind of there as well, which is yeah. quite cute. Vangelis was sick of travelling, you know. Aphrodite's Child, when they got to Paris, they kind of, like, travelled throughout Europe because they were massive, mm. you know. When the time came for them to come to England, they'd uh, had a few tours bus rows and uh, he just wanted to go in the studio and he made this album called 666 which is probably the biggest Aphrodite's child prog rock opus which is basically Vangelis in the studio sort of kicking ass but it's an honour to be able to release his music Okay. Vanier, Vangelis, that's a nice hook, isn't it? Mm. It's a bit like Massey, Massiera, mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Play some more Massiera. Yeah, okay, here we go. Finders Keepers, B Music.
This is the Finest Keepers Radio Show with Andy Votel and Doug Shipton from uh, the label Horrific Child. Doug Shipton, what can you tell us? Horrific Child? The brainchild of our very own Jean-Pierre Massiera. How would I describe Horrific Child? I wouldn't say it's concept record as such. Definitely touches on a horror theme that seems to sort of creep through a good portion of his catalogue from a certain era. Would you say that's fair, Andy? I, I... Yeah. It, it, it's Maledictus Sound Part 2, probably, mm. but it's it's definitely more in the prog prog realm, you know. It's not even well, poppy. It's almost like... Yeah, we're like talking 15-minute sort of opuses. Yeah, it's, it's proto-metal, really, mm, mm. and then with some crazy sort of disco samples in there. He's insane. What more can I say? He's not insane, but his mm. music's insane. His alter egos are insane, and, and, and there's hundreds of them, you know. Really? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's got loads of names. What sort of schizophrenia is that, then? A good, a good sort of schizophrenia, I guess. I mean, horrific child is almost like uh, Melody Nelson mixed with Tales from the Crypt. You mm. know, he's talking from the perspective of, of a rotting body at one point. Okay. Um, and luckily, mm. we were we brought him over, didn't we, to do some gigs with? Well, to do one big gig with Magma Celestial Mass at the Barbican. That's right. And that was that was like you know incredible. But one thing I'll say about Jean Pierre is where someone like Jean Claude Vanier, you, you are literally in awe of Jean-Claude Vanier's music. It's unbelievable. It's something, you know, you put Mm. him on such a pedestal, you can't even touch him. It's just, like, awe-inspiring. You forget that it's music. You've just just taken away by it. Jean-Pierre Massiera is influential, which is a different thing. He inspires you to do stuff. He was making records all the time under these crazy different names, running as fast as he can and never looking back over his shoulder. And I think that's something that me and Doug have Mm. both done since then. We just keep moving and keep going, you know. Every time we put a record out, it's like another nom de plume. It's like something else Mm. that we keep on moving. You know, Finders Keepers changes all the time. And I think Jean-Pierre Massiera has influenced every part of our life in that very respect. So, you know, he is one of the many patron saints of the label and a pillar of our car crash community. Quite right. So where are we going to go to now, Andrew? Let's go to Iran. Oh, <laughs> 
10 years of Finders Keepers records, uh, an alternative history of music, uh, something very, very joyous and uplifting. Uh, Andy, what's that? Hallelios. That, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. I, I, th- I think that kind of means, um, come on, let's go, sort of vibe. I know we play it's a, a call to arms. Yeah, a call to arms. I think, I think so. Yeah. Uh, unless it just means hello. <laughs> but, um, but, but we, we play this record called Heidi Basta, a Turkish record, which means the same sort of thing. Right. It's sort of like probably your proverbial. Um, well, it's probably your, come on. Your equivalent of Liam Gallagher. Oh, you know, okay. Yeah. Like going, come yeah. on. Yeah. Come sort of on. Thing, yeah. But obviously better. Yeah. That is a brilliant record. Yes. You know, recently covered by Doug Sex Witch. Is it Sex Witch. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. really. Uh, what's it? Bat for lashes. Bat for lashes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which was a surprise to us. Yeah. Someone covering such a record. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Mm. Jane's played with her. Jane. Yeah. yeah. She played on Jane Weaver, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 woman behind one of the. Great albums of all time. Silver Globalist. Uh, yeah. yeah, but as we continue the history of the label, we will certainly focus on uh, Jane's label, the Bird label, because it's, it's important. It's integral to the to the, the history of the label, isn't it? It's sad that you have to dispel that myth that the record collecting landscape is just a male orientated yeah. thing, mm, because mm. increasingly it isn't. You know, I mean, it's very important for finders keepers to have uh, female. Com- and you do compilers you, 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 as much yeah, as male compilers. Yeah, yeah, you know, there shouldn't be any distinction. I agree. Although I know some girls with some amazing records, mm. you know. But I will say that Massa's mm. Iranian records yeah. are some of the most important records I've ever seen. I mean, the Iranian records themselves are rare. This mu- this you know, this music is pre Iranian revolution music, you know. Mm. When these records were made and the revolution started, these records just went missing. Right, you know? okay. If a bunch of people were asked to get all the prized possessions together and move to the States or wherever... Mm. Quickly. Know, a bunch yeah. of seven inches probably weren't going to be... Going to make know, the cut, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but before then, pop music was thriving with people like Gagouche and, mm. and, and Zia and all the names on this compilation, but it's almost like shrouded in super mystery history. And, uh, yeah, that Pomegranates record that we that Massa put together was probably one of the most important records in, in our catalogue. Wow. Um, saying yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah it is saying something. Yeah. It was a lot more than just an exploration of her history and her own culture. Yeah. It was something that infected, affected hundreds of people, and it was a really good communicative piece of work, which spoke to a lot of people. Right. You know, uh, and it was a thing of great beauty. 
and it's amazing that uh, we got to be a part of what is what I still consider to be a very groundbreaking compilation. Yeah, I think this is where the sort of phrase "accidental world music" label came came in. And pomegranates, you know, with well hung, we've done a Hungarian music. Pomegranates, we've done Iranian music. You know, we're about to do a compilation yeah. of Spanish music, and th- th- it's it's. A double-edged sword, really, because there's something that a lot of labels do which resembles musical tourism, where it's just basically like getting off a plane, going to the local charity shop, buying 10 records, getting back and go, ah, here's, a, here's our accidental world music label. Mm, mm. And it, it's not like... It's, it, that, that, can, that can be a really crappy thing, or it can be a really good thing. I mean, this next compilation, Belter, concentrated on a very important label which built the Spanish pop scene, transcending the Franco years and doing something very maverick and very interesting with Spanish pop music and rendering fantastic pieces of music like this. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records making old records feel young. Estoy cansado, ya no puedo más. Mis puertas se agotan, ya no puedo hablar. Sueño despierto, me pongo a temblar. Que todo es lo mismo, trabajar, trabajar. La vida es un sueño imposible de hallar Por mucho que busco no puedo encontrar Amor, armonía, sinceridad Siempre lo mismo, hablar y hablar Soñar, soñar Soy un soñador Soñar, soñar Y es lo Camino para triunfar Si lo hago con ganas y con voluntad Quizás algún día lo pueda lograr Yo siento que pronto veré la verdad Y aun cuando sueñe en la realidad El tiempo y la vida me harán reaccionar Que todo es un paso como la
This is the Finest Keepers Radio Show from somewhere in the English countryside. Rudy Ventura. Is that right? Rudy Ventura. Did they get that right, Doug? That's right. Yeah, one of my favourite tracks off that compilation. What can you tell us about it? Um, well, that particular track mm-hmm. on the compilation. Well, th- I can't really sort of talk about that without talking about the comp, to be mm-hmm. honest, Pete. I think um, Andy kind of touched on it earlier. This is sort of us sort of up and sort of running sort of at full speed now as a label. And to be sort of offered an entire back catalogue stretching back what i think any like 30 40 years belter had been going belter very important label which built spanish pop music started as a, like a domestic kind of import label they were licensing from uh, all over europe and then progressed into owning their own studios and working with domestic artists so to mm. be offered th- this entire vault is not just a record collector's sort of dream but just any kind of music fan like we, we, we sourced was sorted through hours and hours and to to whittle it down to 22 tracks is, mm. is probably the hardest part i think we must have had at least two or three other comps per sleeve one thing we should make clear though is when doug yeah. says the word vault yeah you know that it doesn't really exist it never exists it's not you don't go to a label and they've got like a vault of music. So you're, it's a basement. All it is is no, it's just, just a, a shelf. Thumb, no, it's nothing. It's a thumbs up. <laughs> right. When 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 we had an inroad with Belter and yeah. they said you can release our music because we'd previously licensed Fusion, which mm. were like the best Barcelona prog band, and Los Mismos, which were like a like a Spanish Osmotantes. We'd sort of we'd made that con- contact and they said yeah, go for it, go and find more Belter music. So all it really did was gave me and Doug a shopping list we just went out and we were lucky enough to go to barcelona quite a lot because of our good friend james pierce who was doing regular b musica nights in barcelona so we'd go to shops like edison's or or uh, casa usher and just look and play belter records all day oh, you know yeah, yeah. just Be- belter is almost like a national label so it, it has lots of not mm. so good records yeah, on yeah. you know lots of covers of english hits in spanish language but for every 20 records they'll be an absolute killer right and you know so so it given us the keys to the castle same with hungariton and the hungarian label they said yeah go for it we had the connection and so the vault is like an imaginary thing but, oh, <laughs> it doesn't oh, exist oh. everyone always says what was it like going yeah. to Hungary? what was it like going to belter oh, yeah, they don't you, exist you think it's like a bank vault you have to open this big door crack a no. code it's there's cobwebs in there the, this is why the pakistani stuff was really interesting because they had master tapes you know yeah. a lot of these people don't have master tapes mm. you know but you're just copying from vinyl generally are you? yeah 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 you'll find an amazing record mm. and then you'll have to buy three more copies to get a killer to get a yeah. one that's in really Cleaner, really good yeah. condition but also with pakistan to be able to send them a shopping list if you will of stuff we wanted to check out and hear was refreshing yeah Mm. yeah exactly Mm. we sound well traveled leaving our comfort zone we couldn't have gone much further than the opposite side of the world for the next release and that was um australia with the biker horror flagship cinematic milestone which is stone
Finders Keepers Radio Show, celebrating 10 years of the label with Andy Votel and Doug Shipton. Uh, I'm uh, the host. Hopefully the, the glue that uh, binds this all together. Yeah, bloody that... psychiatrist. <laughs> psychiatrist. Well, Pete. you know, you two take some working out, it has to say. Stone, tell us uh, more about that. Uh, that. That grand introduction, what did you say? Every superlative going was it that you, <laughs> you, you, you brought that song on to? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's one, I mean, there's, there's, there's films like Werewolves on Wheels, 
Psychomania and Stone and the three films that sort of mix satanic sort mm, of mm. horror thriller into biker films. I don't know. But you know, it's, it's one from Australia. I took my dad to Australia to meet his family that he hadn't seen for a long time and after about the first five minutes of socialising with family I was like, where are the record shots? Oh, did you? Oh, did you? Yeah. And off I went, uh, met a few people and they said... Oh, Oh, yeah. Would you like to do a gig in Australia? You can count decent gigs if you want. Yes. I just went, I haven't got got any records. So I had to buy records while I was there. Mm. And one of the things was this soundtrack called Stone. Mm. Stone mixed two of our favourite genres, which was like, you know, heavy sight and cosmic electronics. Ten years later, we released it. Let's uh, move on to uh, the next. What what, what are we going to go to next? Germany via the US with a, well, a synthesizer Moog Maverick with I think we we mentioned it before didn't we in the yes. last show from yes, um, yeah. the first beam music com Sam Spence the incredible Sam Spence who we said he looked like a, a Dallas oil billionaire <laughs> on and he was the he did the, the library music for the, uh, the the American football TV yeah, shows, all the little stings right. and introductions and stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. It's been a good gig at the time, that for him. It was our man in Munich, wasn't yeah. it? He, he, he was, yeah, he took a synth to Munich. From global glam to failed pop, this is the Finders Keepers radio show.
This is the Finance Keepers Radio Show. That was, of course, uh, Sam Spence, who uh, you will hear, uh, as I said on the last show, that you'll hear his little bits and bats around our little jingles and everything. We're going to come to the, the end of our second show. We are doing our best to plough through as many of the highlights of the label over your uh, 10 years and 250 maybe more releases. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. seems to fluctuate, that that kind of number. It, basically, you've no idea how many, if you total the, the whole thing up, you've no idea how many came out of uh, ah, yeah. your little label. We've been involved in a lot of releases yeah. now. How are we going to end off? What are we going to end off uh, here now uh, to end off our second show? Uh, well, there's still plenty more to come in the coming months, weeks, years. Uh, Eckhart Rahn, which was the guy who released Sam Spence's music, it basically pulled him out of the library ghetto, really, because Sam Spence was obviously working for library companies like DeWolf, mm. and he was lucky enough to put his music through the NFL, National Football League library label. But Eckhart Rahn saw the qualities in this and presented it as a, a proper release. Mm. In, in Germany on his on this label called Kukuk. Krautrock is such an amazing wide genre, you mm. know. These lavish gatefold sleeves, brilliant production qualities. I'm not surprised that it's such a collectible format. It's so lavish in everything that he does. It's such a big, massive statement. Mm. And the fact that a lot of these records came out on major labels is no surprise, really. I mean, United Artists, you know, there was a, everything that you know about Amandul and Can and these bands. They were funded by big companies. For this reason, mine and Doug's massive love for German contemporary rock was never really going to surpass just that. Mm. But Kukuk were a fully independent label, which was out of an obscure part of Germany, which were doing great things with obscure German bands. And Eckhart Rahn went on to do amazing New Age music, release a bunch of other labels. He was a pioneer in early packaging, recycling. So it's always had a very good, honest vibe about it. And they were working with brilliant graphic designers mm, as mm. well. So it's almost like the, a little anomaly in the middle of the Krautrock world. And the bands, you know, he never really had any hits on there, but mm. it was just like, it was almost like, wow, we forgot about Kukuk, you yeah, know. Yeah. So Doug picked up the phone, we got in touch, and it was, and, and we, we, we were off, really. Again. The, the, the problem with genres like Krautrock, much in the same sense, in the way that we discuss psychedelic soul, is the genre may be very far-reaching, but the canon, the popular canon, is always so strict and regimented, and people sort of forget to sort of look behind what they're presented with. Like you say, Ashra, Cluster, they're synonymous with, with the name Krautrock. So to work on something like Cloud Cuckoo Land was a dream come true, really, just to be able to, to delve a bit deeper and sort of trace the lines. Mm. As the trash merchants that we are, I always thought we were just going to stick with the sort of exploitation stuff like the Vampires of Dartmoor. Yeah. I couldn't see a way in. Mm. I knew there was also sort of like a lot of amazing German library music, which we have released bits over the years. We should release more, really, German mm. library stuff. I mean, Golden Ring label and um, Selected Sounds are two of my favourite library labels. Klaus Weiss especially. Peter Thomas, great people, but I never thought we'd be able to penetrate that world where labels like Brain and BASF existed, and you know these amazing records, Can and Amandul and Embryo mm. were all tied to United Artists. Business aside, it stopped resembling punk mm. you know as you get more bogged down and more in the inner workings of the music industry and seeing what's available, that there was no punk inroad there. But Cuckook, stylistically, not so much but in essence was a very much homegrown punk mm. institution. And bands like Armageddon kicked ass. <laughs>
<laughs> I beg your pardon, young man. As time goes on as well, bands like Armageddon, out of focus, these are really sought after, highly collectible Krautrock records these days. And as I say, as we move forward and as people are turning over this, these new scenes and these obscure records, they slowly kind of get incorporated into that canon and it just grows and grows. <laughs>
So the final uh, record on our second special of 10 years of Finders Keepers record, some Kraut Rock. We are going to do a Kraut Rock show very soon. It's our next big show from the Keepers Cottage, isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Episode eight, Is I it? guess. Blimey. We yeah. could almost get to double figures. <laughs> oh, <heaven laughs> How does forbid. that happen? Heaven How does forbid. that happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, the Cuckuck, the Cuckuck record being probably my favourite independent German label. You know, within the last few releases, we'd covered some amazing sort of European things like BYG. You know, it was it was yeah. it was a, it was a great time. I mean, we started getting into more deeper European conceptual territory, and that's how we'll start the next show. Yeah. We started getting into a few comic book things. What, what would happen next would be the No No Years with all our you know amazing French conceptual stuff, which obviously yeah. had links back to the first uh, Jean Claude Vanier record. But yeah. We were on good, we were finding some good it's European fascinating records. fascinating musical history. So uh, thank you, Andy. Thank you, Doug. Our Crab Rock special will be up very soon. If you want to go back and listen to any of our shows, available on iTunes, Mixcloud, and what's the other one? Soundcloud, is it? Yeah. It's available everywhere. Yeah. All right. Can you give us another blast of that, then bongos, uh, Doug? Any time. Pete. Flute. Oh, here we go. Ready? Lovely. Thank you for joining us on the Finders Keepers Records 10th Anniversary Radio Show Special Part 2. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records. An alternative history of music.